Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Come to Daddy with Ruben K, the podcast for people who can't afford therapy but still want to feel like they're working on themselves without actually doing any of the work. I don't want to say I have mummy issues, but I've been performing since the womb. Let me just say the lighting was terrible, but the entrance was fantastic. Cleanup was a bitch, though. listeners and welcome to another episode of Come to Daddy hosted by me, actress, model and an unwilling and humble fulcrum for social change, Reuben Kay. Put on your wellies and join me as we go wading into the lake of trauma and fly fish for the river trout of healing. <coughs> yep, that's what we're doing today. Uh, happy with that one, Mandy? I mean, it made me audibly laugh, which um, is never good for no. a podcast when people don't know who's in the room. Um, I've got jobs for you, though, Ruben. Oh. There's, we, we, if we're going to introduce the podcast and tell people what's going on, I know you like to go around the houses and be clever and flowery, <laughs> but I've got five bullet points. So the first one is, who am I? Oh, God, she's cracking the whip already. My name is Reuben Kay. I'm a drag queen. I'm a Jewish entertainer. I'm a comedian. I was raised in Australia. Uh, and now I live out of six suitcases like a traveling circus monkey looking for a bell to chime. Thank you. Um, and also, I must. And point- as I was saying before, <laughs> I want. <laughs> but at the core of that, I've been traveling around in big suitcases for a very long time. But one thing that I always sort of anchor myself with is family. I'm really fascinated by family. So I thought what a wonderful thing to explore in Come to Daddy and find out how much that has to do with the person you are now. Not you, obviously. We can we can see what happened there. And not me either because that's about me and you know I'm too self-effacing. But about people who really matter. And by that I mean celebrities. 
Well, you've rolled bullet points two and three into bullet point one, which has left me all at sea as to what the next question is. Because um, the next question is, what, what is this podcast? But I think you've explained that. It's about people's relationships with their parents. And the best part about this podcast, I think, is that we're going to be dealing with some pretty heavy stuff, but we still find a way to... I'm sorry, that is an amazing fart that your pug has done. Uh, yes, please just clarify, it is not me. Yeah. Hmm. That was one of the dogs. That was great. Um, and I think the, amaz- the amazing thing about this podcast, after the amount of episodes we've done, is we do deal sometimes with some pretty heavy stuff, but every single one has been, a, in some ways, a laugh ride at the same time. Um, no more bullet points because you've answered them all in one. Mm, very so good. I think you need to explain to the lovely listeners, for they are using their ears, not their eyes, mm. how your trauma manifests itself. <laughs> And how it's manifesting itself here now for Look, this podcast. here's an example of how my trauma manifests itself. I am doing a podcast, which, as we can agree, is not a visual format, and yet I'm still wearing about eight pounds of lead-based cosmetics that will render me technically sterile. I'm in full drag for this. High heels. Technically, if I peed now, it would go up my back. <laughs> That's how heavy the drag is. I've got eyelashes. I've got lips on. This microphone is going to look like it was gone down on by Ronald McDonald. We're, um, we're moving on to the important bit now. This is, in fact, bullet point number five. I like mm. a structure, Ruben. There you go. That's how my mother manifests herself in yeah, me. Yeah, we're, we're seeing it all come through, Amanda. A structure, Ruben. <laughs> um, so, very importantly, how can people listening, because we, obviously we're gonna, the guests, your guests are going to share their stories and you're going to share your stories, but how can people listening get in touch and share their stories? Oh, my God, share and share alike. That's Cher's 74th final farewell tour. Uh, you can get in touch with the Come to Daddy podcast at come to daddy podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> My God, we even have horns now. Welcome to Come to Daddy with Ruben K. My guest on today's episode is a walking contradiction. From the City of Angels with a naughty sight to make the Marquis de Sade blush, a worldly sophisticate who lives in Croydon, a Yale graduate who could beat the shit out of you in a bar fight and make you pay her for it. She now lives and works in the UK to huge critical acclaim on TV, stage and screen. And because of her parents' loving care, she was able to make a spanking paddle and thigh-high boots a tax expense. I couldn't think of a more perfect guest for this podcast than a woman so in tune with the divine feminine her menstrual cycle is reported in the shipping news. It's comedian slash intellectual slash dominatrix slash my perfect woman, Desiree Birch, come to daddy. <laughs> It is my pleasure and delight that maybe one of the best introductions I've ever received, Ruben. Thank you for setting the bar uh, unimaginably and unattainably high the way we both like it. <laughs> I've got to say, I had a lot of fun writing it. Yep. Now, talk to, me, talk to me. What we do is we do a little questionnaire at the top of every episode of Come okay. to Daddy. We ask the same questions of all the guests. It just gives us this broad overview, quick fire answers. First off. Names and ages of parents. Uh, Curtis and Gwendolyn. Uh, he's, what, 65, 66, somewhere in there. She's 83? Hang on, 65 and 83. Yes. Is that what you said? Wait, is that, is that the right? No, wait, she's going to be 82. My bad, which would make him 68. 
Still a substantial age gap. It is. It is. Yes. It's a 14 year age gap is the way I remember it. Get it, Gwendolyn, you cradle snatcher. (laughs) Well, that was her second husband. So she already had my older half brother and sister and was not trying to talk to this guy because she worked in the libraries in L.A. She's always worked for the city and he was always coming in trying to hit on her. And she was like, no, no, you're too young. No, you know, and he did the thing that all men do, which is just shoot elephant darts into you until you finally cave and go like okay fine fine it's going to date fine whatever <laughs> where do they live uh they live in southern california um and two different towns because they are no longer together <laughs> running theme in this podcast every time a comedian has like two happily married functioning parents and a good family i'm just like so are you a sociopath? Like, what's what's the gimmick? Where's the... When did you last speak to them? So I honestly, oh God, this is terrible. I want to be like both of them because I'm bo- sure both of them are like, yeah, I just, I talk to them every day, call my mom all the time. No, I talked to my mom probably three weeks ago. I talked to my dad probably, uh, I mean, double that, I would say, at least. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How do, how do the fine. conversations... Yeah, fine. They're fine. They're fine. I mean, nobody in my family is fine. Uh, I mean, everybody's fine. But like, you know, fine is a spectrum. Like, if you have a family, that's that's typically kind of like just sort of like low-grade chronic depression. Like, what is fine? So like everybody's fine in terms of like nothing there are no peaks or troughs of emotion or experience happening everyone's just sustaining on survival fine i think it's just like my dad's sitting somewhere watching you know cnn 10 hours a day and like regurgitating you know like anti-maga trump whatever stuff like you do and my mom's watching you know reruns of murder she wrote and enjoying that vibe and everybody's sort of chilling. Oh God. Do not tell her that Angela Lansbury is no longer with us. Well, my mother has dementia, so I'm hoping that nobody mentions it to her. <laughs> Just keep showing her bed knobs and broomsticks and Murder, She Wrote, and she'll be happy. <laughs> yes, I mean a bit. If it's Columbo or Murder, She Wrote, she is in it to win it. That and like Frasier, <laughs> she's good for the day. She's so good, you know? And now I want, I want a percentage value of how much your parents contributed to how you turned out. I want to say um, somewhere in the 30s. Like, I'm going to say 33 and a third percent. Fascinating. Lower than a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's accurate. Um, <laughs> we may, we may, I'm just being honest here. I think we may get to the end of it and I might be like, oh, actually that percentage should be different, but I, I don't, I, like... I don't want to hold them responsible for everything because obviously childhood, et cetera, frames a lot. But I also don't want to give them credit for everything because, you know, they um, I was I was three out of four. They didn't do much as a middle child. You basically get forgotten, you know, (laughs) like you, you just get scooted along with the outside kids. You know, I think it's so funny. I think um People often say to me that I give off only child vibes. <laughs> That's, I mean, I know that not to be true, but I also feel like, you know, you and your brother who I know are different people. Like, I'm like, oh, you definitely have genetic material in the same, but you definitely seem like different people. 
Oh, absolutely. But on the on the obverse of that, I would say I didn't know that you were a middle child because I was also like, oh, you give off you give right off there. only child vibes as well. <laughs> Yes. But yes. there is, I think, a parallel between only child and middle child in that only child has this natural entitlement because they've never had to share. And middle yeah. child consistently wants to assert their identity. Yes. And consistently yes. For wants people to like, who don't care. <laughs> yeah. And that does not lend to sharing either. No, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't, which is why I've probably given them 33 and a third percent when I probably should have given them more. But like, <laughs> legit, I'm still mad. <laughs> I'm here. I'm still here. Uh-huh. What was, they sound, I guess, from what you've said just there, they sound quite distant. Yes. What's the... I, yes. Yes. So the setup of my parents, as I, I was mentioning earlier, is that my mother already had my older brother and sister from a first marriage. Um, so she was, you know, this is I'm I was born in 79. So she was looking for a, a father for the two kids that she had as well. You know what I mean? Like mm. she definitely needed that because there was no way that on a typist salary, she was going to be able to really maintain, you know, and my dad for better or for worse was able to provide that because he, you know, was in computers and that was, he was a contractor. So he was able to make, you know, like huge wadges of cash. He also then blew that cash like quite frequently, you know? So there was like, you're like, there's no reason that the electricity needs to be out right now, except for that you spent too much money shopping or, you know, whatever on like now as an adult, I'm like, "Mm, you probably have undiagnosed ADHD. You probably have these other things that if there was a, um, if there was a a vocabulary about that at the time, if there were resources and if people in the black community were encouraged to use those resources, you may have been able to find help, but everybody was just sort of reenacting their own trauma blindly. So Curtis perhaps maybe wasn't as, didn't have the emotional preparation to be the father that you you wanted? What would you well, say? Well, yes. I mean, yes, he didn't have that. He had an abusive upbringing, you know, like his father beat the crap mm. out of him. Um, and that's definitely, and was moved around quite a bit because his dad was in the military. Um, mm-hmm. I say his dad because I've met the man like, two or three times before he died. And I was like, this guy kind of sucks. Sorry, he does. Um, So I was able as an adult, like when I met him, when I saw him at university and he took us out, he took me out to dinner because he came to visit he and his new wife. And I was just like, you know, it was one of the beginnings of that awakening of like, oh, you suck. And my dad did his best to throw himself as far from the tree as possible, which wasn't supremely far, but he did what he could to try to outrun that, not realizing that the harder you try to outrun your progeny and your past, the more you keep running into it. And that's not the way to get away from it. But also he was 25 when I was born. So I don't think that any 25 year old man like is emotionally prepared to have children. I mean, maybe some of them are very very small percentage, but mostly they're not done raising themselves. You know, I'm sorry. I know 35 year old people who are having children. I'm like, you are not ready, bitch. How was Curtis like as a dad in the house? 
Yes. So he, <laughs> okay, look, I mean, all of this needs to be prefaced with, I do love my dad. I do accept my dad. My dad yeah. is a deeply flawed person, like most people's dads. So <laughs> I absolutely agree. And parenthood is one of those fucked things where not only do you have to put in all this work, you then have to go through like a job review at the end of it yes. where your kids yes. go, well, I'm an adult now. Here's how I think yep. you did. Exactly. And here's what I, I am the living evidence of what you did and what you didn't do. <laughs> I mean, the first thing I thought of when you said that is that he was the the kind of dad who like, uh, so we were up in Southern California and there's a Six Flags there, which is kind of like, there's a chain of like Alton Towers type of places. He was the kind of dad who would like take us to Six Flags like repeatedly. And he would like be running to get to the front of the line. Do you know what I mean? Like he wanted to get on the ride, but he also brought us along for said ride. He was the, the, the dad who like, you know, would buy every new film on like Laserdisc. Yes, we did have a Laserdisc player growing up. And, um, you know, like and, and it was like, you know, he wanted to come home from work. You know, he, he contracted various different places. He'd come home exhausted. He'd take off his boots, sit there, like chain smoke and watch a film because this was the 80s. So we were just sitting there next to my dad in a cloud of smoke, having a great time. <laughs> You know, like you do. Um, and yeah, I mean, he wasn't, he was the dad who, you know, loved us because he obviously loved us because he provided for us. And that's the mm. old definition of a dad, right? A lot of parents have been conditioned by the world to give their love in very specific ways. And they're not yeah. necessarily insane to a child. I love you and showing that love with emotional vulnerability. It's money. It's I provide for you. It's eat this food now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just here, I've just kind of done some quick maths here in my head. Correct me. Yes. Your mum was 39 when you were born. You are correct. And my dad was 25. So there's a 14 year age difference. So just because uh, my mum was also 39 when I was born. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Nice. So she was, mum was also called a geriatric parent. And I think even now, mm -hmm. 39, you're called yeah. a geriatric parent. Yes. How, how was sort of, I guess, your mum's experience of pregnancy delivery with you? The story we always got was that I came out and I immediately fell asleep, which is a very par for the course of my personality. Um, and then, and what was my brother? He straight came straight out, out of the womb, straight out of the womb, you fell asleep? Straight out of the womb, straight out of the womb. I came out and I was like, this is actually a lot and I'm going to take a nap and come back to you. And like the doctor was like hitting me on the ass, like, no, you need to wake up and cry right now. You're out. And I was just, I clearly didn't want to be there. And my brother apparently tried to go back in. Like that's the the way my parents have conveyed it. So it was just like, surely we knew what we had signed on for, you know, in the before life kind of thing. And then actually coming through, we were like, oh, I made a mistake. No, 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 I made a mistake. Um, but it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> I just, especially because, you know, those little baby fingernails are sharp. Yeah, they were <laughs> razor sharp talons all i know is that and that i was um named after um a, a nurse who was allowed announced over a loudspeaker um which i'm very fortunate to have been because i would have been either a wendy a brandy or a Teresa. otherwise those were the, the lineups please welcome come to daddy with brandy birch Yes. Okay. Look, Brandy Birch, maybe Teresa Birch, never. So now there's, so they're still in the U.S. Do they come over to the U.K. often? No. 
like travel is not something that was in my family's conception. You know what I mean? Right. Unless it's yeah. like a, unless it's like driving to Vegas for somebody to get married, which a couple of people, including my parents, have done. Um, but like other than that, it's not like a thing they think to do. Yeah, they totally went. They went like I only realized well after the fact, like because my parents don't like each other or like can't stand each other. And I don't understand why they were married until I figured out what the maths were. And I was like, oh you got married because you were knocked up with me. And it was like, yeah, basically my dad then later only recently was like, basically, yeah, my, your mother was like seven months pregnant and she finally, and I was freaking out and she finally had to turn to me and say, look, if this child is born and we're not married, this kid won't have your name. And that somehow hit him. And two of their other friends who had just gotten married also kind of like, like, you know, railroaded him into the car as everybody was just flooring it to Vegas to go and get married real quick before I came out, you know, and the whole time he was like, yeah, I kind of, it didn't even hit me what was happening until I was standing there. I like, at the altar. I like to imagine with an Elvis, but probably not, but you know, still. I just think that's the most romantic thing in the world. Blackmail <laughs> and peer pressure. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, that's a lovely segue of cramming something that doesn't belong into a space where it might not fit but has to make the best of it onto dominatrixing. Oh, of course. Yep. You know, every parent's dream. What was the, how do we, with the, and the, with the, how did the, but was it just the smell of the latex? I mean, who doesn't love that smell of like rubber and latex? No, it's really Moorish. (laughs) <laughs> okay so um i'm just gonna leave it at a demonic little snicker um so um that I, that laughter is going into the trailer immediately just so you know perfect um you know i i had graduated from yale and i was still a virgin at the time and you know i was one of these people who thought i could read a book about something and then do it you know and that's how i was going to figure out sex and sexuality because i'd managed impossibly to get through four years of university and have like no one even sniff at it and i was like okay i basically have to figure out how to overachieve at sex and the way that i saw to do that was to become a dominatrix not that that involves actual intercourse but it does involve the power dynamic that would go with my body type that would make people see me as a sexual interest because it wasn't happening with me just being doe-eyed Desiree. I was just like, well, it's going to take too long. I just got to fast track this and try to uh, figure out how to be like a badass or like hot in some way or figure out how I'm hot so that other people can see that and then we can bang. You said that you, because you had to find out a way to be hot in some way or see yourself as a sexual being in some way. Is that because the world in general your parents or maybe even Yale didn't give you that view of yourself or didn't allow you to have that view of yourself? 
Yes and yes. Um, uh, yeah, I would say all of the above. I am a fat black woman. I have always been since the day I was born, and that has never changed. And at the time in the 80s, I was the only fat one everywhere I went. Now, America's caught up and people are like, you're not that fat. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, not anymore. Look at all the preservatives in our food and how stressed out everybody is. But at the time, it was just me alone in every class photo. Right. So, you know, when you feel like the alien in your family, in your community, at Mm. your school, and then like, yeah, I went to Yale and I was around other smart people, other way smarter people who had been, you know, supping from cups of privilege their entire life as well. And I can't recall a single time, maybe little bits in retrospect where I was getting anybody biting at this. You know what I mean? It took moving to New York and having a way more diverse sort of community of people to pick from to actually start to get that. Because until that time, it was white, middle class to upper middle class, people who are looking at me as probably the least sexual or attractive object in their worldview. Did your parents kind of know about the dominatrix scene? I've never told them. I've never had this conversation with them because it's not... We don't talk about that when we talk. Do they watch your material? No. Like my 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 mom saw me do Our Town in high school. And I think that was the first and last thing she seen me do as a performer. Right? If yes, anything's going to be representative of your body of work, yep, of my, Desiree Birch. Yep, it's Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I come from like an Ashkenazi Jewish family where food Mm -hmm. is definitely a way we show love. And I have a little segment here I call Guilt, Food, Love or Laughter. Which one of those do you think is your parents' first go-to to to try and show love? Oh, interesting. Uh, Food and laughter are kind of tied. But like that's the one place where my family comes together is like around any kind of comedy. And that's the sort of like language we speak. And I realized as an adult, like, oh, my mom is actually the funny one uh, of the two. And I and the times that we were at our closest was because of laughter, because food was problematic, because I would be fed, but I always needed to be on a diet. And my mother was always putting me on a different diet or telling me to like basically have like a pseudo eating disorder because like, you know, it's going to make my life easier later to not be There's nothing that will really help someone along in their journey than criticism around food and their weight by a parent. What was it? You said that humor and your mom was one of the things that really brought you closer. I mean, I remember us having a fight because we often had fights while shopping. Normally this was shopping for clothes because of obviously the weight issues. She always wanted to buy me clothes for school that were going to like cover me up. And I was always like, I hate this. But we were in a grocery store and like I grabbed this milk. She was like, she wanted to get condensed milk and I grabbed this pet milk. It's called Pet was the brand. And she was like, she's like, we were having a fight and I was like, here, just take your damn dog milk anyway. And she's like, what do you mean dog milk? I'm like, it says pet on it. And like, I was just being a brat and she recognized that. And I recognized that at the same moment. And we just started laughing so hard in the middle of the shop. And that's what broke the tension of everything. So like, those are things that I remember as far as like humor being the like crack in everything that would like allow us a bit of, you know, intimacy, intimacy, et cetera. Yeah. I remember once me and my mom were having a very tense 
tense talk about, you know, mum always wanted me to do better in school. Mum always, well, mm. you might need to drop out of school if you continue with your grades like this and all this stuff. And But in one of these chats, the dog was standing next to us and my mum farted and the dog sat. <laughs> like she had been secretly training our dog. And you were like, how long have you been farting to get this dog to do stuff, mother? <laughs> So here's one. Do you think I I feel like most most kids have a good handle on the answer to this? Do you think your parents are given your achievements? Yale graduate. We haven't even gotten to that. Uh, You're on TV. You have award winning shows. Do you think your parents are uh, have a have pride in you? Are they they're proud of you? They are. And I believe that they are for sure. But like, I think that their their benchmarks of that are totally different to mine. Like if I had just managed to get skinny, I think my parents would be probably prouder than me than they are now. Like, you know, that might be a super messed up thing to say. But I think I think somewhere they'd be like, look at my beautiful daughter. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, oh, really? That's all? It's just. that's it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that might be super cold blooded, but I, you know, cause I can't speak for them, but I, in my head, like when I say that, I'm like, I think underneath it, they might be, but I think that they're both proud of me because I am sort of like independent doing the thing that I want to do and, and just sort of on that level. So yeah, it's a different benchmark than I would set for myself. Like my dad has seen some stuff that I've done, but like, you know, when I was in like a castle for Christmas, like he saw that on Netflix or like Flinch or something because it was on Netflix. Like he hasn't, even though he works in computers, uh, thankfully he hasn't gone about Googling me. I don't know why. Maybe that's much more of a like millennial and after advent, but like, because if he did, all of this stuff would come up. So I have never figured out if he has and hasn't known how to talk about it or ask me anything or wanted to say something, or if he just, he just didn't allow him himself to do you think they're ready for the for the for the dominatrix spanking i'll be honest with you my mother has dementia now she's never gonna know Mm. i'm never gonna tell her uh my Mm. dad potentially yes like and i think if we ever sort of like locked presence enough to like have conversations about real things i would be like okay so this is stuff that i've done and I, i he's He's a lot less sort of judgmental. Like my mother was the sort of fundamentalist Christian force in our family. Right. He never was. That was another thing they didn't have in common. But like no one in my family has ever brought it up. And I just don't know if there's a lack of curiosity. <laughs> it's not that they're judgmental or the one to know. They're just not that interested. How, how advanced is mom's dementia? fairly like we're in the sort of plateau phase of it like this she was um, she was diagnosed when uh i was 39 but um there's still a lot that i don't know particularly particularly because my brother my younger brother is in charge of her care and everybody in my family is super secretive um and i that was something that i think started with her in particular you know there's like a generational thing i've talked to other especially other black people who have parents who are of that generation where it's just like they just keep massive secrets like massive secrets like at some point she was like you know grandpapa wasn't your real grandfather. He wasn't my real father. Right. And I was like in my mid thirties, I was like, no, why would I know that? You've never said that the person that we all, I had to tell my older brother this, he didn't know. 
you know, and he was the first kid. So like secrets like that, the kind where it's like, oh, I've got skeletons buried all over this town. And like, I might just let one or two slip to let you know just how many there are. Where does that come from? I would say, like, I've always chalked up my mom's secrecy to being a Scorpio because she is, but I don't know if that is the full story or if that's just a part of it. But at some point I was like, when I learned astrology, I was like, that's why you're like this. (laughs) Well, do you know what? It's my favorite line in Princess Diana, the musical, when she turns and faces Charles as he leaves her and she sings very slowly. She goes, serves me right for marrying a Scorpio. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like that should be embroidered on a pillow and sold on Etsy widely because that's, um, I mean, you know what? Sexy as hell. Very, very emotionally solid. But like only if you, uh, only if they know who they are and what they're doing, because <laughs> otherwise drag you to hell. Where do you sit on your, emo- like on your emotional scale about your mum's situation now? Are you sort of a bit matter of fact about it or? I I am matter of fact about it because I don't have to face it every day. You know, I'm the one who doesn't live out there. Mm. And I do have guilt about that at times when I'm away. You know, where I sit with it is that like when I see her, I try to spend the time, you know, but we can't converse very much, you know, because she didn't, she didn't want to talk before the dementia. So, you know, afterwards, like she just, you know, like it's, it's like she, we don't have, we haven't laid the ground to have real connected emotional conversations. And I guess I kept Mm. thinking that I would get to some point in adulthood where I was content with myself enough to be myself with her and make that happen. And that just didn't happen or it didn't happen in time, you know? And so I don't get to Mm. have that sort of second wind that other people sometimes get with their parents, which I really kind of wanted. I know that I only have so many more chances to see her. Like, Full stop. Like they're only, you know, I go home once a year. There are the the number of times that I will see her before she's gone is numbered. And that number isn't as large as I wish it were. Mm. And so every time I leave and say goodbye, I have to in my head go, this might be the last time, you know, chances are when she goes, you won't be there. You know, like there's a very strong chance of that happening unless we get a lot of warning. You won't be there. So you kind of have to, you know, every time I speak to her, I'm just like, I love you so much. I just want to know I love you so much. I thank you for everything you did. I love you, you know, because that like I'll have to deal with the rest of it in post, basically, you know. We have a little segment here on Come to Daddy called Shall I Be Mother? Shall I Be Mother? I give our guests the opportunity to stare into my beautiful, beautiful eyes and imagine that I am their mother. What would you say to me right now? Um, Hi, Mom. Um, I love you. Um, Thank you. I would love to just talk. I would love to know everything about who you were when you were younger what you dreamed of, what you hoped would happen before you married two guys that you didn't really love and who didn't really take proper care of you. Um, I would just love to know so that I know what stories to carry with me. Like, will you sit here and tell me anything? Like, 
What did you think was going to happen? Like, what did you, you know, what, what was it like being raised by your mom? Like, you know, like all of these things that I just don't know. And I would love to hear you tell me, I would love to sit for hours and just listen. Yeah. That's what I wish. I'm not going to cry. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm not either, but we're both doing it. Thank you for sitting there and listening cuz that I don't know if that's happened in my life. <laughs> not with them fully, you know. And now that they're this age, I'm listening to them. I mean, the amount of times that my dad has half apologized for things because he's a man in his late 60s and he's regretting everything. And which can't I, quite get there. He's just like, and oh, he's, and it's he's like a kidney there. stone. Yes, it is. And he's just trying to pass all of everything. And, he, you know, and when he starts crying, because he always does, which is amazing. And he always goes, oh, I got some sand in my eye. And I'm like, it's not the 60s. Why? You don't have to say that. You know, like. If I was Curtis, what would you say? Uh, I would say, I want you to know that I forgive you. And he would probably say, what for? And I would be like, all of it. <laughs> because most of my other siblings aren't doing that. And they also had a different relationship than I had with my dad. You know, I was daddy's little girl and like they had something else going on, you know. But I would tell him that I forgive him. Because I think he probably, yeah. I, I, I would like to actually have that conversation with him. But like every time you go back home and visit your parents, you just like turn back into being 12. No, you absolutely regress. You regress to this sort of inarticulate teenage self. And every time I plan to have the talk. It's never the right time. It's just <laughs> never the right time. Thank you for saying that I needed to hear that echoed from other children throughout the land because I keep going like, when am I going to make things better? You know, when you're like, I can see why things are messed up and here's something I can do to make it better, but it's not all down to you. And it no. never was, you know, Every and I could go in there and say that and he could take that some other way and we can wind up right back in the same loop we've always been in. Mm -hmm. Everything is a bloody two-way street, and that is yeah. the tragedy of human interaction. Yes, it is. Just receive what I am saying and accept it, and we will be fine. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, my God. Desiree? Yes. Wendy Brandy Teresa Birch. <laughs> Thank you for using you, my full name. <laughs> you are... An absolute legend, a Yale graduate, a whip-smart mouth, pun intended, a star of stage ah. and screen, and a wonderful, fantastic guest we are privileged to have. Thank you for coming to Daddy. Thank you so dearly for having me here. It was, uh, it was very, it was good for me. Thank you. Thank you for this processing moment that I never got to have with them. Thank you. <laughs> I do what I can. That was the incredible Desiree Birch on Come to Daddy. Desiree, where can our fantastic listeners see, hear, smell more Birch? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. If there were only smell of vision So um, uh, I am at Desiree, D-E-S-T-H-E-R-A-Y on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and that's probably the best place to find out what I'm doing next. Although, uh, depending on when this comes out, I'm on your TV boxes on Channel 4 in the Horn Section TV show. Um, 
Too Hot to Handle is always on Netflix and you can hear more Birch and you can smell more Birch by coming around the um, gym in Peckham and finding me as I come out so you can get the uh, full experience. Oh, from old school to old factory, that was Desiree Birch Mm -hmm. here on Come to Daddy. (laughs) You're amazing. Oh my God, I love you, Evan. I love you too, (laughs) Desiree Birch. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.